welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin-Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as we discuss their journey with their voice and how they use it to support their passions and professions in media, education and the performing arts. My guest this week is singing teacher and creative performing artist Rebecca Schwartz. Rebecca has had a roller coaster journey with her voice from losing all her confidence during her acting training to completely losing her singing voice for over six months tied to her postnatal depression. She understands what it's like to be afraid and feel vulnerable around voice use. That chapter of her life inspired Rebecca to write her one woman musical, Baby Brained, and she was in the middle of touring it with Arts Council funding before the project was paused due to COVID 19. Rebecca has established many choirs, as well as teaching privately a mix of shy, complete beginners and professional voice users. She is trained and qualified in loads of different approaches and likes to facilitate her clients so they get the most from their lessons. Once the Baby Brain Tour is back up and running, we would love Rebecca to come to performance in Colchester. I've invited Rebecca on to chat about her journey, her creative process, and along the way, we chat through the challenges of moving events online and future projects. Rebecca is also on the Education Committee of the British Voice Association. So welcome to the show, Rebecca. Where should we get started? Maybe I should just tell you about how I started doing one-woman shows. Yeah, why don't you start there? Glorious. Chronic for jumping around and changing subjects. That's, that's an ADHD quality thing. Um, which I think is a superpower. Of course. Um, so I did my first show, I think, just before I had my first child, I think. And I decided to do it at a local free arts festival. And I thought, I'll just do it, see if it's any good, see if I'm funny. And it turned out people laughed, even mean friends who would never laugh to be polite. So then I did another one. But I used to do it, I'd hire a space for my student concert and then I'd hire it for the evening as well. So I'd do all the student stuff paid for the venue and then I'd just do like the extra one and people were already there. Yeah. And then I saw Camille O'Sullivan who absolutely blew my mind because she did this. I don't know this artist. Who's this? Camille O'Sullivan. She does very, very dark and very serious and then sits on people's laps and wears bunny ears. But she, she's mainly quite dark and lots of Brechtian and um, Nick Cave and Bowie and stuff. Okay. Um, and I thought I'm going to do some dark songs. So the next show I did about an hour of fun and then about 20 minutes to half an hour of really dark stuff, mm-hmm. um, by which I just mean emotional stuff. Yes. I took myself seriously. Yeah. I wasn't just trying to be funny. Not that there's anything just about that, but I wanted to show I could do both. And then I wrote the odd song. I did a show about, good, I don't know how many years ago, called These Women's Words, which was about representing different women that were in my choir. So I just had these three characters of a grandma, somebody my age, and a young and younger me. And the only one that was like me was the younger me. And she was very like me. <laughs> but the one that was my age was very sort of um, the sort of school mum that would have the, the, the big car and always glamorous and that sort of thing. So um, talks a bit like that, you know, does a lot of um, a lot of duck face. Of and course. Yeah. So I had these three characters and one of them was this very Christian granny. And, and then I realised I wanted to do the, the dogging song from Fascinating Aida. And I do remember saying to her, is it all right if we do, if your character does this song? She said, I might be a Christian, but I'm not a fuddy-duddy Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and so she had the dogging song and the lovely monologue about her grand, grandchildren. So that was the first show I did with some original. And then I had two original songs by me, the 
gripe song where I just got a list of things everybody moaned about. And the main thing seemed to be unexpected item in the shop, in the bagging area. That really bothers people. Yes. Obviously, we have a whole load of new gripes from this year. And then I did a song called Chin Hair, which I'm sure we know what that's about. Um, you know, yes. <laughs> so um, that was my first originals. In I'd been writing for years, but they were the first originals in my shows. And then three years ago, I was in a fun fair in Denmark and I was sitting on my own for a bit and the others had gone off and I didn't have my phone and I didn't have any paper and I didn't have anything to distract myself with. I sat down on my own quietly and thought, let's see if anything comes to me. And then I thought, I'm going to do a show and I want it to be about mental health. And then I thought I wanted to be about postnatal depression because there's more of a plot. Mm. I'm going to be completely honest. And then I went to a friend's house because we were visiting friends around Scandinavia, all two of them. And um, the second friend told a story about how it, her depression had got so bad that she'd written a list um, to her husband of all the things he had to do to keep the house going. Oh. And then I went, OK, I've got to write this show. Mm. And, uh, yeah... That time. And then I just waited for the songs. And they came to me in the middle of the night, which was quite annoying. And they came to me when I was out walking. And all of the songs came to me. That's wonderful. The first one was Gina Ford, which was the... Or how I was going to be brilliant and I was going to do all the Gina Ford stuff. And it was all going to be perfect. I was going to be this perfect mum. Definitely the chair song, which is right in the middle of... The dark bit. Mm. sitting in the chair and I can't get out and um, and and then I had this comedy midwife character who rubs people up quite badly the wrong way and uh, she had some songs about how we're going to have a lovely time and I'm going to be here for you listening to you and talking listening about all your problems and then she just goes on about hers because we've all met that midwife yeah and then um, yeah the show came together I did a trial it got good responses did another one, did another one, got Arts Council funding Yay. to do a little tour, uh, did another application, got rejected. Oh. And so I have done about four or five Arts Council applications previously. Okay. I should explain, I've done them so many times. Yeah. And so when I got it the first time, it was like a miracle. Um, yeah, so didn't get it the first time. And then about this time last year, I got it for the big one put together a tour and I was like I want to have support I want a stage manager so I'm not having to do everything straight after the show when I've just had this very emotional journey yeah and the tours go to and this one was going to some some a theater as well it was going to a theater space and not only going to baby groups so the first time I went to baby groups and I hosted a few this one was going to baby groups hosting a few and doing some doing a full show with a band oh exciting yeah, that's well. It didn't happen. Didn't happen because of COVID. Yeah, but you, you can I'm look waiting. forward. Do you think it will come together next year for you? Well, I've still got money. Yeah, I'm Is one it... of the few people I am an artist with money. <laughs> yes. But I don't know. I, I'm trying to keep open to what's going to happen. Obviously, I'm going to use that money to deliver it. Yes, because there was a big discussion about doing um, doing stuff online, and I just don't want to because. When I do the performance, and it's usually mums with babies, and they usually got little babies, and they're at least a few of them are feeling like I was, it's totally different in the room. Mm. It just 
is. <clears throat> and so that's what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that, I think I've seen a couple of theatrical, a couple of theatre things online over the, you know, ever since we've been locked down. And I remember watching um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge deliver um, Fleabag on a stool, but filmed with a live audience. Yes. So that, that could work, but you still need the live audience, I think, just that element of something to feed off the energy. I, I can't imagine just do, you're doing your show with your pianist and a camera. Well, yeah. Um, as an aside from Phoebe, I went to see Fleabag at the cinema ah. between my first run and my second run, and I had loads of changes that I'd added ah. that I'm so proud of because it is a phenomenal piece of theatre. Definitely. I think Fleabag is. I'm yeah. not talking about mine. That would be a weird thing to say. <laughs> uh, Fleabag is a phenomenal. Yeah. The way it's done and the way it's written. Well, we know she's an amazing writer. It's just so classy. Mm. So I, I nicked a few things from <laughs> some voiceovers. Yeah. <laughs> not, not nicked. I did my own. That was no, that's it. it. But it's nice to get that, that sort of relationship of somebody being off screen or off, off you know, off the mm. stage or whatever. But still having the person on stage just responding to the voice. Mm. I love those moments. And this, this is the thing. So when I'm right in the middle of the emotional pinnacle of my show, I know when I'm in it. And it's that weird thing of I've got the, the I'm right in it right in the middle of the emotional centre of it and I'm also on the outside so there's the, the in the middle of it and then there's the knowing that I'm in the middle of it yes it's obviously very confusing for people who you know you have relationships with in real life because that carries into real life doesn't it but I started out as an actor and I'm very much like that <laughs> and so and then I can usually see somebody around the room who is trying like mad to hold their poop together mm. I'm not swearing and um and I know that it helps them. I know there's support for them. So I made sure there was somebody at the show, every show, to be, do peer support after the show. Oh, that's wonderful. Part of the funding was to... I worked with a local charity that supported mums. And also, when we went to groups, there would be somebody there. So mm. every, there had to be somebody there. That was really important. Um, because otherwise, I'm making them vulnerable and leaving them. That's true. So I didn't do... I made sure there was some support and... I could see they were going to start talking because the major thing about postnatal depression is you feel, well, about any mental health stuff, you feel alone and you're not. You're very, very not alone. That aloneness is what stagnates you and gets you, keeps you stuck. That feeling that you, you've got something to be ashamed of or that's not normal. And, it, and it's interesting because I had an experience that was the opposite. So between my children, I had a miscarriage at seven weeks and I was, I was fortunate in that it wasn't painful physically. It was just a loss. It was sad. It was it was sad, and it is. Half of the mums I spoke to, because I was teaching a lot of teenagers at that point, they'd had them. So they all talked to me, and I didn't feel alone at all. And that was really, really nice. So to be part of a community is really important. Definitely, so, definitely. I mean, I mean, just even the, you know, I think I watched one of the um, the news things that you were involved with. Um, were you on the, it was on the BBC News at one point, right, where you got interviewed and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched this. I was going, go, Rebecca. I'm so proud of you. You're, it's just so great. You're getting it out there. You're making people engage and talk about these things. It's important. Yeah, I, I a friend um, advised me not to put any makeup on if I don't normally wear makeup and to just be very, very me. And I was a very, very me. <laughs> Do you feel okay probably, about it? It's probably still on the ITV website. Yeah. And I'm playing catch with the boys in the garden and... Um, and I, yeah, I get really emotional talking to her about it. Yeah. 
But it, 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 it shows your passion. It shows your, your passion and, and that, you know, I think it was really interesting listening to your creative process and how you wait for these things to come to you. I haven't necessarily had the same experience, but the way that you speak as an actor, as a creator, as a performer, and, and the way that you do manifest these things you create... I relate to. I think that the thing that's difficult is that our society has got so much noise. The hardest week in the artist's way. When you come to it, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, and I did this, goodness me, well, 25 years ago. Mm. 25 years ago? No. <gasps> yes. 25 years ago. Oh my, oh my Lord. Um, so uh, it was the reading deprivation week and I listened to a podcast with Liz Gilbert and um, Julia Cameron. Yes. who wrote The Artist's Way, yeah. together talking about the Reading Deprivation Week. And can you conceive doing Reading Deprivation Week now? Well, you do not read. And I didn't read emails. Oh I had, a, I had a, a blanket over the TV. I was living on my own. And you have to go on a date with yourself every week. It's harder to do that with kids, but yeah. I've just come on my date. I took myself for a date today. Um, and you can't hear the noise if you've got your face in Facebook. Oh, of course. Or, or yes. all these things. You just can't, you can't hear the stuff. Mm. And, and I still remember the bit with Glennon Doyle where she takes herself into the cupboard. She's very small and <laughs> sits down in the closet. And I'm like, I couldn't fit in my closet. <laughs> yeah, but you know, American closets are like whole rooms, aren't they? American closets are crazy. Well, I, I, I've got a little cupboard over there, but I definitely wouldn't fit. Yeah. But this just sitting quietly. This, this, and this is probably a key, it is a key thing why women make less art. I keep reading this in, in books over and over because we don't have that quiet space. And to, to demand that is really challenging. And it's the guilt thing that comes in going, you shouldn't be doing that. And I do remember very clearly about your life jacket first when I wasn't well. So yes. I need to be all right. I've got two kids to look after. I need to be all right. Absolutely. It's really interesting. Um, but I do find that with my teaching and my choirs, this whole thing of just turn up as you are and we'll grow from where you are and you will grow from where you are and you have to accept where you are and start to love where you are. And vocally, that's so interesting because I only, I only liked my voice after I lost it. Wow. So tell us about that. What was the, what was the lead up? Was it, did this all coincide with the postnatal depression? Yeah, but and, I didn't know. But you I didn't had no know. idea. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, the story in my head was I had a little baby and I'd gone to the park with my godsons. They kept running off. I had a sore throat. They kept climbing trees. I couldn't run after them because I had the baby. And so I shouted a lot mm. and I couldn't speak for days. And I went to see some, a singing teacher and she said, you need to stop teaching. And I was like, I can't stop teaching. I can't stop teaching. I, for me, I just, I couldn't. Mm. I couldn't stop teaching and know that being a mum was the entirety of my existence at that point was just too scary because I didn't think I could be a mum. So I had to be something else to be okay. And um, you see, so I battled it. And that happened in August because it was my godson's birthday. And I probably didn't sing properly until about October. No, I couldn't sing. No, 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 I don't think I could speak. I don't remember the details. I'm making this up. But it was weeks. <laughs> it was weeks till my voice could speak. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't sing properly until the, the following year. Gosh. And then I found my voice again through classical, which is quite interesting because that was how I'd learned as a teenager. But I wouldn't have expected that my upper register would come back first. Oh, and now wow. I go, do you know what? I never felt I had a pretty voice. I don't have a particularly pretty voice. And now I, I 
think I have an interesting voice and I have something valid to say and I have something emotional and useful to share. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just cheering you because that's how I think everyone should feel. You, we've yeah. all got something valuable to say and I'm totally listening. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's this, I'm not as pretty as that person. And when we're singers, we do it in our throat. My voice is not as nice as them. My yeah. voice is not right for that. My voice can't do that. And then you criticise your voice and you're being really mean to it. And that's not going to get it to come out, is Absolutely. it? Absolutely. This is the inner critic that, that we really need to spend a lot of time with. But I'm, I believe I radiate a lot. A lot of people I work with do. A lot of people I work with are ADHD. And I think I am. And I don't see it as a problem. I think it's fairly impossible to get a diagnosis. But, so I give out a lot of energy, which is really, really draining. And a lot of the people I work with do. So I'm like, you just you need to find that thing to ground yourself. In fact, I, can't, I think I did glance over your, your thing because it looked really interesting. <laughs> and I think there were a lot of crossovers because there are, aren't yeah. there? So I've, the acceptance commitment therapy stuff yeah. about taking the mickey out of that voice is really fun. Yeah. Um, and I, I like using stuff from the acting. Yeah. But it's just connecting with the character and the story because it's not about you. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that whole thing with... Um, Basically, you know, I think what I see really interesting is that you can apply a lot of this sort of therapeutic stuff to yourself to get rid of your own blockages and get to know yourself better and retrain your inner critic to be your best friend rather than the person who holds you back. You can do that for yourself, but you can also use that work to develop a character for a play that you're auditioning for. You can put you, you can use the submodalities of that character, put yourself in that person's shoes and see the world through their eyes do a timeline therapy on in that as Cosette or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. So I find it really interesting that you can use this work as, um, as a performer, as a creative, as an actor, um, but also doing the work with yourself frees your voice because you know how to regulate your system because there's nothing worse, as we all know, than getting in the wings, ready to go on stage and everything being very much, you know, heart in your mouth, can't control your breath can't control your tummy, you've got jitters, you're shaking, and how are you going to deliver the performance of your life in that condition? And do you know what's really interesting about four different thoughts came into my head? I told you, I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. Um, while you said that, the first thing was my experience of going from looking at, my, uh, looking at method to looking at Meisner, with method, which is all internal, all focus internal, to looking at Meisner, where it's all about looking at the other person and how incredibly liberating that was. And then um, my experiences, so I did this workshop with this guy um, about making funny noises and he does this, it's Grotowski and um, the string quartet and you make these different noises and you play with the vibrations. The first thing was feeling vibrations and through that experience I started grieving for my dad who had died about four or five months earlier and it was an incredibly emotional, beautiful experience for me. It moved me so much that I brought him, he, he lives in New York and I brought him to my little village in Worcestershire. Wow. Set it up. He was in Paris. So I arranged it for when he was in Paris, but and it, it was the most I've ever paid anybody by the hour. And I because I, I knew it was important. And some people were completely moved by the experience and some people were left cold. Wow. Um and, but in the middle of that, and I had a lesson with him um in the middle of it, in that in the middle of that workshop. And um in the middle of that I did my CFP. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I took my voice from letting it run wild through the through the flowers and be this wonderful, untamed, beautiful, free thing to trying to tick a load of boxes. Mm-hmm. And it was crushing. And, and, and it felt a little bit violating. 
That's interesting, Because actually. of where I've been. Now, yeah. I think it's a great... I'm really glad I've got the CFP. As soon as I got it, they renamed it. But um, basically, I, I think it's really good to have that. And I think it's a really useful diagnostic tool. And I think if you haven't even got that level of understanding, then you shouldn't really be in the playing field. But, and I do think it's really important. I mean, I did level one and two twice and then the advanced one. And I, you know, I've done my time and I've studied with, goodness me, about four different ESTEL yeah. teachers to do that. But it didn't feel like it held the answers to me. I can see why. If you've gone from a place of being completely exploratory free with your voice to having to do these exercises, yeah, I mean, it's you couldn't be in two more different places. And that one, ticking those boxes, for me at the time, when it's interesting, actually, I'm just going, I'm reflecting back on my experience when I did my, um, my CFP back in, I think I did that in 2014. And... I think for me at the time, that was the challenge. Can I do all of these little things? I think I saw it in a slightly different way. I was like, I know I can sing. I know I can do. I was performing. I was gigging like three nights a week at that point. I was, you know, in a function band that was very popular and, and it was fine. Everything was working. And I thought, can I, can I do these things? I think for me, it was more of a personal challenge when I did that. Well, I think there's a big difference because yeah. I came from a point of not being confident about my voice. Okay. That's the difference, yeah. was that you came from a place of going, my voice is a, a flexible... Yeah, I trusted my voice, that's, yeah. That's, whereas I I made music from when I was really small and lots of loud singing, and I sang in the choir, a gospel choir, which is a bit random because I'm Jewish, and, you know, and then writing stuff from when I was about 17 and, and singing in open mics and then at drama school being told that I wasn't good enough for a solo, and it was genuinely a shock. And then actually going and working with a teacher who I felt was very, very transformative, mainly because I paid him a lot of money and he's really, really good. But I worked hard. Yeah. The main thing was I worked really hard. I believed in him and he said, you just got to do the work. It's muscle training. Yeah. And it was brilliant. Then I sort of started thinking my voice could do what I wanted more. Mm -hmm. And then I joined a band. Well, you were being a front woman. What were you like as a front woman? Um, jolly. And, uh, you know. But I, I was nervous because I, well, I wasn't vocally right. When I, and now I know how to use that, that register and I know how to use my voice in a lot of different colours, but I didn't then. Yeah. And when I look back on that, I'm like, oh, that's mortifying. <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm dying to know. What, what were you singing? What was, I mean, you must have enjoyed some of it. Did you get to pick the music? I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I was probably singing, you're the, you know, simply the best. Um, I Will Survive, uh, Heart of Glass, probably. Um, yeah. I really liked, he did some random ones, this guy. Um, I really liked the, the, I what did you do there? I can't remember what it's called. What is it's, that? It's a fantastic song. So we did the odd really fantastic one, but you know, show me the way to um, Amarillo. Oh so my gosh. That with the joy, isn't it? But it's just looking back going, I didn't know how to belt. And really, you shouldn't be doing those sorts of songs. Unless... Do you learn how to do them properly? I could do it now. I reckon it'd yeah. be great now. Oh, you'd be out there. That'd be amazing. Get, you know, when the world returns to normal, we'll go to an open mic together. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? I did do one of my shows called The Jukebox Show. And, um, and everybody, I did it pre-selling on Kickstarter and everybody could um, buy tickets and do song requests from a, a jukebox list. So I ended up doing random, lots of random... I, I found the videos from it. I did... <laughs> oh i'm dying to hear it come on spit it out <laughs> okay so do you know flight of the concords oh i've heard of this yes i don't know it 
Concords are incredibly funny. They wrote the songs and did stuff in Muppets Most Wanted, which is very current with my eight-year-old. Right, so I can't remember what they're called. But, um, they're so funny. And there's this song with this guy doing business time about basically how he's an absolutely dreadful lover. And I did that in a dressing gown on stage in a pub. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I think I did uh, Sooner or Later because that got voted for. So I let myself do Sexy. Yeah got voted for so i did sooner or later you're gonna and then i followed it by it's business it's business time making love for two making love (laughs) two minutes because when it's with me you only need two minutes because it's so intense um so it's really look up business time i'm gonna have to that is so funny i think until i did baby brain i was always hiding so i did those songs because people asked for them Mm -hmm. and i don't think if you do comedy it's because you're hiding i just think i was yeah okay and there's a point of turning 40 when you do stop caring I do want to ask you a few questions because we've had a lovely natter but I'm like I haven't actually got any of my questions in the podcast of you yet Rebecca so (laughs) but I've had it's been really lovely because I have got an idea of your journey certainly your journey going into the creative process and writing baby brains it's so weird the similar place we're at the moment because we've come from very different starting point yeah yeah so it's really interesting about the healing Absolutely. So I, had, I had this vision about healing. I was doing the um, earlier lockdown. I, somebody linked me into the Deepak, Deepak Chopra yeah. 21 Day Abundance thing. And as I was doing it, and I was going for a run, and then I was, <laughs> that stopped. I was going for a run, and then I was listening to the meditation, sitting down by a field near where I live. And it came to me that I was going to be leading, standing up in a hall in front of a large group of people who were going to be using their voices to heal themselves. And I was going to be leading this big thing about voice healing. And it came to me really strongly. And I've hardly said that to anybody. And I'm owning it now by saying it to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Make it true. This was the vision that came to me. And I have no idea how, but it's absolutely fine. Absolutely. I was going to write a show and I didn't know how I was going to do any of it, really. But yeah, that that came to me and this healing thing. And obviously we're in a point where everybody feels, it feels like a lot of people need healing. Absolutely true. And there is a lot online at the moment. And it's like, the more you get into it, the more you get fed lots of algorithm like things. And I keep signing up for different summits and this, that and the other, because I'm really interested what's out there. But I'm also really interested in just taking the bits I find useful and passing that on to the people I work with as I'm sure you are too. And it's interesting, I think, because we, we have ended up at a lot of the same things, um, you know, different courses with the BVA. And uh, when Jean, when uh, Debbie got Jeannie Levetri over. Which BVA ones have you done? Um, well, I, oh gosh, I can't, I don't know. I've got to listen On the to education committee. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I remember bumping into you, I think, at the Chain Reactions one a few years ago. So the first BVA day that I hosted, that I set up, because I had lots of ideas. This was, but... a, this was dancers and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. See, I was annoyed I couldn't come on it because it clashed with something else I was doing that weekend. But I, I remember you planning it. Well, it was, pardon me, it was, it was really exciting. But at the end of it, I sort of came away from it going, oh, no, I didn't succeed because I didn't have the answer. Ah. And it's only a little bit later and having talked to other people that I realised there isn't an answer. <laughs> well, there isn't. It's that choreographers and directors and songwriters need to work together. Yeah to take care of the performers but there isn't an answer in how you can the question was how can you disengage your core to breathe and lift somebody over your head Mm. and the answer is you you can't can't. yeah so that was really interesting and that was the first one I did and it's funny because I like talking to an audience I'm genuinely really confident with it except I was terrified at that one 
I was really? terrified. Yeah, there's something about the BVA audience, you know, they all seem so formal and I'm not formal. Very rarely scared in front of an audience. I was scared when I was conducting a mass choir at Symphony Hall because I don't think I'm a particularly slick conductor. I'm very good at getting people enthused, but I'm not great at being precise with uh, 350 singers. That's terrifying. And the BVA events mm. scare me. But um, I'm hoping <clears throat> through my authenticity to rebrand what is expected yeah. so that when I was really scared um I quite like the online thing so with uh, the three BVA events that I've spearheaded that one the second one was um Extreme Voices which the little three of us that put it together is quite incredible I'm, I'm so proud of that I was the one that was chatting with Melissa Cross yeah and um and then Tori got Catherine Sadlin, and it just was quite incredible that we had those two people. Yeah, absolutely. At an event, and then the Neuro Day. It's very funny because people think I understood it. I, I just went, I don't understand. I'm just letting people in the room and managing it all. <laughs> I was like, I really don't understand it. I wish I did. I need to watch that at least ten times to understand that. But the uh, the Neuro Day, I was really proud of. We got some really exciting people. We've got one that we're planning now, and it's a spoken voice day event. And we we've just had the go ahead. We're doing an event on World Voice Day to do a free thing with Barbara, Barbara Houseman, on the Friday night. Brilliant. And then on the Saturday, we're going to have three more voice practitioners and we're going to do little little exercises in between each bit and it's going to be much more of my and Pippa's style of how we want to do it. Oh, that's wonderful. You're, yeah, definitely keep us informed about that and we'll get it, uh, we'll get it linked on the Vocal Freedom page. I want to signpost. When you were, um, I think you shared your, your baby brain's page and I shared it as well because I said listen this is someone and you you got a few hundred more people didn't you <laughs> that was amazing I was like but they can't get to the shows and, I, and it wasn't just really people that I work with it was also people that I know that are also parents and that have mm. also done those hard years and have also had those feelings and found it difficult to to be a parent and to be a parent and all of the that that weight of expectation that you feel is on your shoulders when you mm. you go home with that baby for the first time, and uh, yeah, it was it was nearly twenty years ago for me, but I've certainly been there. Mm. Um, so I, I I love that you're doing something creative about that. And there's there's a few other things I've seen over the years that I always share when they come round and do the rounds on Facebook again. And there's the woman who sings the song to the tune. Childbirth song. Which one? Yes, the childbirth song. I love that. That was the first. That was the first comedy song I shared. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew sooner when you were younger? If you go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give you? That you have to start before you're ready. That when you start, you will get better. That it's okay to do the things you don't necessarily think you're good at. And you're usually better than you think you are. That you should never compare yourself with other people because it's pointless, because they are better at being them than you will ever be at being them. So you need to compare yourself purely with you. That And this was the thing I learned from having kids, was, which is that you, you know when you read these things going, you're amazing, and you go, really, why? <laughs> and when you watch a kid walk and you go, oh my God, they're amazing. You are amazing just for existing. And that doesn't mean everybody has to think you're amazing, but there are days when it is just amazing to stay in bed all day. <laughs> and it is amazing to... Do whatever your achievements are. Everybody's achievements are different. And if the thing you're doing is hard and scary for you, then that is a massive achievement. I say a lot to people 
it wasn't an achievement for me to go to university. That was an absolute given. That's what my family do. It is an achievement for me to do a one-woman show. And it is an enormous achievement for me to run 5K or for me to tap dance on stage. That is enormous. And I am going to praise myself for that till the cows come home. And it's just noticing the things that are enormous for you. And now I know if I don't do my yoga in the morning, I'm not as happy. Oh, that's lovely. So you found a practice that really works for you. Yeah, but I can't eat before it because I'm overweight. If I do all the bendy over stuff, oh, I get yeah, really that kind sticky. of scrunches it up. Mm. So, you know, and it's tricky with the school run. Like, <laughs> I need six to do me yoga. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, man, it's, it's complicated, isn't it? You know, the, the, the self care takes yeah. so much time. I look through all the things I want to do and all the things I want to learn and all the books I want to read and all the courses and the podcasts and the training videos and the self care. And I go, well, there's just no time to teach, is there? Yeah. <laughs> I'm building this business. There's no time to do it. And COVID came and COVID hit us. And, you know, like you say, the, you know, I think we were talking just before we, we um, started recording that, that when, when COVID came in sort of March time and you had to sort of close your doors, how did that have an impact on you emotionally? So my first response was my kids are off school. Yeah. And I have to look after my kids. That was my first thing was I'm only going to offer teaching on a Saturday. And I'm only going to I'm going to do my choirs, which is Monday night, and Tuesday morning. And I'm going to offer teaching on the Saturday and I'm going to teach and it'll be wonderful. And I was a superhero teacher for two weeks and then Easter hit. And then the teachers spoke to the, my kids and told them that they were doing a lot more than everybody else was doing, at which point it all just went down the pan. And it's been challenging to not have to not have as many singers that I'm working with. But the singers that I'm working with are really exciting and really engaged. So that's been really good. And the other thing I did was I threw myself into all these courses. So I did the, goodness me, I got level three counselling. I got NLP practitioner and the timeline thing. And they were all in-person courses. I attended the, watched the online trauma summit. And there's also the super conference that I haven't watched yet. I did this somatic experiencing online course it's quite crazy. I have a ridiculous number of certificates. Oh, a neurovocal method, set up the top down. I just did, I, I, I went quite over the top. Yeah, you've like filled the time with all of these, yeah. And then I got exhausted and went, I'm not doing anything for a bit. Yeah. I mean, there are some ways online is really, really good for people who don't live that near and they yeah. would have to travel over. Especially school, I don't do very, I don't do, I don't see very many school kids. But the ones that I see, I tend to only see the ones that are really passionate. Yeah. And yeah. They, they have half an hour a week. Mm. And so that's a long way to go for half an hour. Mm. What does your voice mean to you? So I, I really believe in giving the first answer that goes into your head because it's the most real one. And the first thing it said was portal. Um, so I see singing as a portal to joy and my voice is a portal, is a way of connecting with other people. Yay, I love that. So it's a it's a it's a secret passageway. It's a portal, you know. The secret passageways in Cluedo. Um, it's yeah. one of those. Just, it, it's a way to deeply connect. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So two more questions. So I really want to know, actually, whose voices inspire you? Like who you listen to? Who would you could you never tire of listening to? When I was a teenager, I was very very inspired by Kate Bush and Alison Moyet. Now. I love um, I love Regina Spector. Mm -hmm. I love I love listening to her, and I love where her songs sit in my voice. I love listening to Leanne Carroll. 
I don't listen to enough music because music is so overstimulating to me that I actually listen to a lot of spoken spoken voice stuff nowadays. I listen to a lot of Radio 4 because, because music is so stimulating to me. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I want to get away from the words. I heard a song by Ben Folds the other day. That was really beautiful. I think there is a, there's a little sub, sub-genre of Rufus Wainwright's songs. Personally, not his voice, but his songs. Leanne Carroll. I'd never get bored of Leanne Carroll. What would be the go-to, if you weren't familiar with Leanne Carroll, that I can link in to our listeners to go, here we go, I'm going to go and get a little bit of Rebecca's recommendation here. The difficulty is that I saw her doing these little tiny gigs in Birmingham, really special little gigs. Um, I went to two, I think, and she took requests and somebody said West Side Story and she just went into, on the piano, and she's an amazing piano player as well, went into Something's Coming. And, and she can do anything and she can, she can keep singing while she is crying and she's absolutely directly connected to her soul. Mm. So anything, and she's also really funny. Her extra lines in Walk on the Wild Side <laughs> are, take a walk on the wild side, are, are quite rude. Um, yeah. It won't put me off. I'll put it in there. Our listeners can go enjoy it. I'll put a link. It's amazing that she still does, does little gigs. But I love that. So my last question, Rebecca, is what is vocal freedom to you? It's when there's nothing in the way between what you're trying to do and what you and doing it. When there is... No obstacles, mental or physical, Fantastic. between what you're trying to do. Yeah. Or musical. So there's, there's no obstacles musically, artistically, anatomically or physiologically and mentally. Yes, fantastic. That, that's way. Like... like beams, it's beams of light that are uninhibited. Yes. Ooh, beams of energy, vibration, love. And yeah, absolutely. I love, love, love that. Yeah. I think it's great. You've, you're just, you're such, so coming from the right place. Thank you. So I've set up a new thing called the Vocal Explorers Membership, okay. which is a very, very affordable membership thing where you get get the group. You know, we're all about the group, but you get two two classes a month where I talk about something a bit and then we explore it together. And all the songs I've written in lockdown, I can't share. So no, I think I still want to perform. I yeah. didn't do it as much as you did, probably. Yeah, I mean, I did ten years in a function band and. At one point with a duo option as well. We just had so much. That was 2016. And when I left, I kind of went... Well, actually, what happened was I, the band finished, but I said, I'm going to take six months off because I want to see if I miss it. But it wouldn't surprise me if you get the urge to perform in five years, ten years' time. And what I think is really important is not to dismiss it because yeah. you're not young and fresh-looking, which is the thing is, you know, a lot of gigs, yeah. they want... And, and unless you're very established, it's different. But, you know, like when you see like the, the bars. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't surprise me if you did want to go back to it. I, but it's like soul. Except my youngest said this is not the message of soul. But, um, you know, the movie. But whatever is making you feel alive and fit, sparking you. And I just don't think, I think, it, I think you will come back to singing. Maybe. I mean, I still sing, but I just don't have an urge to do it in front of anyone. But when you do get that urge, even if it's little. Mm. Listen to it. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll consider it, <laughs> she says. I think now, for now, I'm, I'm more focused on a different kind of healing and energy and giving. It, it, I'm in a different place. The thing I've realised I miss, and I, so I've got a student who's forced me to get onto 
Jamulus. Real time jamming. Ah. I just don't want to do it. I've not I heard want of it. People in the bloody room. Yeah. Mask. If you play guitar, wear a mask, and I'll wear a singer's mask. I, I want. I want to be in the room. Yeah. I'm Hamilton. I want to be in the room. Yeah, the room where it happens. It's not. I there's nothing like it. Yeah. And I want to be. Ma- I want to act as well with other people. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Rebecca. I've had an amazing time having a great chat with you. Thank you for being a brilliant guest. And thank you for having me. It's been lovely talking about similar shared journey and pathways. Absolutely. And we'll talk again soon. Yes, talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.